Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 160. I want to thank you for taking the time to join me on this episode. We are in this one, uh, continuing on to part two of the uh, titled Three Phases of the Holy Spirit in the Ministry of Jesus. Now, I, I, I did kind of wrestle with... What do I, how do I call this? What um, phases? I wasn't super excited about that word. Um, I didn't really have something better. I, as I've thought more about it, um, perhaps I would use the word distinctions, three distinctions of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. I think that, because what I'm trying to, portray or reveal is that there are distinct um, distinct particularities of the Holy Spirit in the life of namely here Jesus Christ and so so maybe distinctions is a better word. Um, so, d- but don't really get so caught up on what I maybe call it, uh, phases, places, distinctions. Um, I just want to um, ultimately and conclusively point out that there are three unique, uh, distinguished particulars of of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus. And then applicably, if it relates to Jesus, it relates to us as Christians. So I uh, just want to kind of throw that out there as, uh, as a little pretext. But thanks for joining me again on this episode. Uh, we'll pick back up where we left off. And just as a reminder, we're walking our way through this passage in Luke 4, 1 through 21. And and as we do so, we're keeping these three distinctions as overarching themes throughout this passage. Now, the first phase we, we talked about was Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. And we completed that, and we are continuing through Scripture, picking back up where we left off in verse 9. And again, if you haven't listened to part one of this uh, episode Uh, Please do so as it lays groundwork and then connects the dots to where we are in this episode of part two. So just as a reminder, we said there are three phases or stages. Now I like the word distinctions, Uh, but number one, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. And that's, we can see that, read that in verse one. And then number two, we see Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we find that in verse 14. And then number three, the third, is the Holy Spirit upon Jesus for mission. And that's found in verse 18. Now, one thing I also just want to kind of quickly plug in here is don't don't fall into the trap of thinking of the Holy Spirit uh, solely 
or exclusively for mission. The Holy Spirit isn't a tool. So uh, he is relational. Now we'll talk. We'll touch on that a, a little bit more later. But I just want to throw that in so that you keep that in the forefront of your mind. The Holy Spirit upon Jesus for mission, though not exclusively mission. So we're going to read um, just this passage again, um, and that's going to be Luke chapter four, verses one through twenty-one, and we'll kind of relay some of that groundwork but then jump right into the next progression. So Luke 4, 1 through 21. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours." Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Now when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want to point something out additionally, starting in verse 3, that I didn't mention in this last episode. And it's verses 3 through 9. Now, um, I won't read each verse again, but notice in verse 3, the devil first said something to Jesus. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God. And then Jesus answers with Scripture. 
then the devil leads Jesus. That's We see that in verse 5. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, So there, the devil leads Jesus and shows him something, then says something. And Jesus answers with Scripture. Then we see in verse 9 that the devil again led Jesus, but this time has him stand on the highest point of the temple and then says something and then also quotes Scripture. So do you see the escalation of desperation and attempts of the devil? What started as just a whisper to tempt evolved into an uplifted attempt at corrupted Scripture application. Now notice that the highest point of the temple is not an arbitrary location. It is drawing upon ministry and the good things that God permitted to be built. Jesus himself is the head of the church, so the devil placing Jesus at this highest point was very symbolic and rich with hidden meaning. Now lastly, the devil's attempt to use Scripture to justify putting God to the test should scream to us that even good such as Scripture can be manipulated or distorted to try to leverage what we want. This is the necessity for our personal and intimate knowledge of Scripture, of study and teaching, so as to strengthen ourselves against such tactics of the enemy. Now imagine for just one moment if Jesus was as gullible as we so often can be. Can you see him now saying, well, I guess it does say that, so that must work for this situation. From religious wars to dictators who genocidally eradicate ethnically different societies, many things in world history have been done on the back of biblical and religious convincing. This demands from us in our day to know not only Scripture, but the author of Scripture. Now, the next thing I want to point out to you is the devil's response in his quoting of Scripture. So he says, If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Now this is a partial quote from Psalms 91, 11-12, which says, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, at close inspection, notice that to keep you in all of your ways was left out of the devil's response. Now, I'm sure the devil did not want Jesus to remember that the Father would command his angels to keep Jesus in his way or in his path. Now, 
Some people point out here that the devil pulled out a particular promise to apply to a situation that wasn't specifically aimed at the situation before Jesus. Simply put, some say that here the devil used Scripture out of context. They will say, trying to apply promises from Scripture that do not stay consistent with the original context is illegal. Now, as I read through Psalm 91, the general theme details that God Most High is our refuge. He's our deliverance. He's our safety. He's our answer in safety and trouble. So I submit to you that the devil didn't take these verses out of context. He took them for granted. Remember, he said, if you are the son of God, that was the pretext for the devil's challenge. Like the other temptations, the devil wanted Jesus to prove himself. I believe the context of Psalm 91 was consistent with Jesus' situation. But the error, like Jesus says, was, he said, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So when I read, do not put the Lord your God to the test, I immediately think of Gideon putting out the fleece before God to have God make clear to him how to proceed. Now that scenario we can find in Judges chapter 6, the fleece of wool with dew only on the fleece. But then Gideon says, quote, once more let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. So here, Gideon tested God. But it is not rebuked. In fact, he is heard and proved what is the will of God. So here we see two situations of testing. One is rebuked, the other is honored. What's the difference? The motivation. One is rooted in discerning God's voice. The other is exploiting the words of God for personal exaltation. I point this out so that you will not be afraid to ask God to prove himself to you as it relates to his guidance and his direction. Do not, though, however, be like the religious leaders of Jesus' time who asked him, Jesus, to prove his authority to do these things. Because like them, we will only receive the sign of Jonah, who was in the belly of the great fish for three days. So shall the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth three days. Now, notice in verse 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Now, this is the tactic of our enemy. He tries and he pokes for weak points. After he tempts, he will leave, looking for an opportune time. Stay well guarded. Stay well informed against the tactics of the enemy. Don't give him ground to take advantage of opportunities in your life. Now, 
progressing to our second distinction or second phase of the Spirit. After Jesus defeated the attempts of the enemy and conquered and crucified the flesh, we find in verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So when Jesus headed into the wilderness, he was full of the Spirit. After he left the wilderness and returned to Galilee, now we find Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Now, I believe these are two distinct places in the Spirit. It is my belief that our Heavenly Father wants each and every believer and follower of Christ to operate in the power of the Spirit. Also, what I'm convinced of more every day is that if our character can't carry where the power can take us, we will be headed for utter failure except by God's grace. Now, if you are a student of history, of those that God used powerfully in days past, then you may know that some lacked in character development, and then many of those have come to a great fall. Now, this does much harm to the body of Christ and the work of His ministry. We need to learn to embrace the wilderness pruning, character development, and the practice of righteousness so we may walk faithfully and without fail so we too may walk in the power of the Holy Spirit who is eager to use each and every one of us for the ministry of Christ. So just to briefly resummarize regarding the ministry of Jesus, there's a baptism of Jesus, there's a then being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a wilderness crucifying of flesh and defeating sin. Then a returning in the power of the Spirit, which completes our second point and leads us into our final phase or distinction. Number three, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus for mission. Now we see this in verse 18, but let's pick up reading in starting in verse 16. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So we read that the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because He, the Father, has anointed Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor. And by the way, 
That's not just speaking of poverty poor, but more poor in spirit. So Jesus has been anointed. The Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because the Father has anointed Jesus to preach the gospel to the poor. And Jesus is sent to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the Spirit of the Lord is upon Jesus because of this work the Father has sent him to do. Now this sheds light on the mission of Jesus himself. Remember, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Jesus said that in John chapter 20. So Jesus' mission is also our mission. Now, as I process this teaching in my own private study, as I mentioned at the beginning, I do want to add that the Spirit upon us is not exclusively for mission. The Spirit is not a tool. The Spirit is relational and has a personality. He can be grieved and angered and also tenderized. Having a personality gives him personhood. So we should never think of him as a resource or a tool or a sword to wave. But through Scripture, there is a reality to how the Spirit upon us gives us ability that we lack in ourselves. So in closing, we see three distinctions or stages or phases of the Holy Spirit in the life and ministry of Jesus. Number one, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Number two, Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, the Holy Spirit upon Jesus for mission, but not forgetting that the Spirit is relational and not just some workhorse for Christ or for us. Not forgetting that the Spirit is in fact God Himself. So you may be thinking about this teaching at the end of all of this. What's the point of all? What are you, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to get across? And I think that for me, it's to point out that there's three unique distinctions that we find of the Holy Spirit in the life of a, we'll say, believer. Of course, we see this in the example of Jesus. But remember, as the Father sent him, so he sends us. And when we can identify these distinctions that should reinforce to us these three unique distinctions, if if we are not experiencing all three of these distinctions, then there should be this quest or hunger from us to seek to understand where are we coming short? What is it that we're missing? And it is to remind us that it's not just about this life of, of receiving Christ as our Savior and then punching our ticket to get into heaven. There is 
there is more to God, more to discover, and there is a a journey that we go on as followers of Christ. So, yes, there is a there is salvation, there is being filled full of the Holy Spirit. There is an operation of power in the Holy Spirit. And then there is the Holy Spirit upon us for mission. And then Holy Spirit upon us for relationship. So I pray that this encourages you. I pray that it informs you. It challenges you. Um, And then hopefully, though, in the depths of it all, it drives you into a deeper relationship with the Father, with the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for taking the time. We'll see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.